with your argument. Okay, again, I would like to thank uh, the court for allowing this to occur during my uh, scheduled okay. conflict. I would rely upon my briefs for the First Amendment issue, the constitutionality of the interstate stalking issue, and the judicial bias issue, and will be proceeding to argue on the gender identity issue, the VAWA issue, which was a, a contract issue, and the IAC issue. So in our brief, we relied heavily on the gender identity issue, citing Bostock, which affords Title VII protection, which extends to sexual orientation and gender identity. The government committed error when they indicated that Thomason had a gender ID and dysphoria issue, which were recently new developments in his life, when in fact, Thomason identified as a female for years prior to this case, and that Thomason and JNS often spent time together as two female lovers. JNS confirmed the female clothing and makeup bag recovered from Thomason's vehicle belonged only to Thomason and were meant only for Thomason. Thomason's attorney utilized male pronouns when referring to Thomason, which was just one example of Thomason's attorney's ineffective assistance, which will be discussed supra. Thomason requested multiple times that counsel use gender neutral pronouns and asked the government and the lower court's usage of male pronouns to not occur. Flagrant misconduct and substantial prejudice must be proved, and the government must have been sufficiently aware of the movement status. They were. Thomason informed the prosecution and district court of Thomason's status as transgender, gender nonconforming. Not only did Thomason inform the prosecution, Thomason preferred gender neutral pronouns, but prosecution was fully aware of Thomason's formal diagnosis of gender dysphoria and the mental health issues that accompany such a diagnosis, and it was prominent in the PSI. Yet they continued to use masculine pronouns, not only in written documents, but also in district court proceedings on the record. They used this to put Thomason into a mold Thomason clearly did not fit into. This gender bias serves to depict Thomason as a gunman and a scorned former boyfriend fitting the stereotype for a stalker as well as promoting the goal to obtain the most punitive sentence possible. They used the female clothing and makeup bag to depict a makeshift, darker plot, despite JNS acknowledging these were Thomas's. The government portrayed Thomas as a crazed and controlling ex-boyfriend, despite crystal clear evidence to the contrary, which proves flagrant misconduct as required by the Babiar test. The government characterized Thomason as a male, but Thomason was regendered in an effort to advance the objectives of the prosecution. Stereotyping is, violates Kramer, speech. Yes. Is the prejudice yes. you're alleging something that would have happened at the sentencing proceeding? At the sentencing proceeding? Yes. All right, so you're claiming that the district judge was influenced by the government's choice of words and use of pronouns in a way that prejudiced Thomason. Is that the essence of the argument? 
It is. And and just so uh, I can understand, what is, in your view, the correct gender-neutral pronoun for an individual single person? They and them. I thought those words were plural. It refers to somebody who has the condition that Mr. Thomason has. Is that an accepted use of the English language to use a plural to refer to an individual or is there a, a new gender neutral word for an individual person? Well, if you look to the government's responsive brief, they use exactly the, the term that I did in their entire brief. Well, I know, and it was confusing to read sometimes because there were paragraphs about two people and then the word they or them would appear and it was unclear whether the brief was referring to Thomason individually or to Thomason together with someone else. And that's why I wonder if the proposed word is the correct one. It, it is. That is the accepted version in today's society is they and them. And that refers to Thomason. Um, All right. And how do you say that the government's use of the masculine pronoun and I guess counsel's use of the masculine pronoun, Thomason's counsel's use of it, prejudiced him in the sentencing? Because they painted Thomason as somebody who was a scorned boyfriend and not the, individ the individual that Thomason is. Um, there, were, there were things that were done that clearly tried to stick Thomason into a mold Thomason did not fit into. He wasn't a scorned former Thomason wasn't a scorned former boyfriend fitting the stereotype for a stalker. And Thomason, they used this because Thomason brought women's clothing and makeup and they refused to acknowledge that that was Thomason's and instead indicated that this was Thomason's items brought for a kidnapping, which, by the way, there wasn't a kidnapping. And I will get to that. Can you point to something that the district judge said or found that you say is error that was influenced by this use of pronouns? Because I, I understand your argument about what the lawyer argued for the government, but uh, well, or what you're focused on in the district court's decision, which is what's under review. Well, the district court not only referred to Thomason in male pronouns, but the district court indicated, and I, I don't have the transcript in front of me, but indicated that, you know, the, the judge believed that this was a, you know, scorned boyfriend, that this was somebody who was, who was attempting to use those items to effectuate a kidnapping when they were his transgender, when, when they were uh, Thomason's transgender items. Um, and the fact that the, the court continued to refer to him in male pronouns, despite his request not to, suggests that there was a prejudice. Mr. Kramer, this is Judge Gr Mr. Kramer. Yeah, this is Judge Graz. I do have a question. Uh, there is some recent uh, authority from the Fifth Circuit that uh, seems to be contrary to your position. 
U.S. versus Barger. Did you address that case? We we did. I believe we did address that in our brief, and we acknowledge that that is something that would be contrary. But th this court is not bound by that by that court's decision whatsoever. And I think that th this court has to look at the totality of the facts in this case, including the understanding that stereotyping violates free speech and equal protection, which was w witnessed by the fact that there was a picture book regarding Thomason's gender issues, and nobody refused to acknowledge it, or everybody refused to acknowledge it, including the trial court. They ignored it. What about, all I what about the fact that Thomason himself said that he would sometimes use the male pronoun in the interest of clarity? That, that may be, but Thomason indicated in, at, in the, Thomason indicated in the court proceedings that Thomason wished to be uh, spoken to and talked to with the gender neutral pronouns. And right. that was I, done over and over. I thought Thomason said both, though. There was a submission that said Thomason prefers the gender neutral pronoun, and then there was a submission, or maybe the same submission, that said that counsel would use the male pronoun in some cases in the interest of clarity. So that just, was the counsel. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead, Your Honor. Well, I'm just that wondering was, if counsel for Thomason was saying the male pronoun would be used in the interest of clarity. How can it be misconduct for the government or the court to do it? Because it was done against Thomason's wishes, which will be dovetailed into the um, the IAC argument, um, regardless of what his what Thomason's lawyer says, Thomason asked the court to not do that. Um, and, and, and one of the arguments in our brief is that there wasn't an effective assistance of counsel, which should require a remand for a new sentencing, um, because the attorney for Thomason did not abide by Thomason's wishes. Um, and, and I will get to that. Um, if the, the court has any other questions, if not, I will move on to the VAWA argument. You may. Okay. Um, you know, the, Thomason was sentenced, and Thomason was given an agreement. The agreement was that Thomason would be sentenced to a specific statute for restitution However, not VAWA, which is the um, Crime Against Women's Act. And there was no violence that occurred here. The plea agreement is reviewed, reviewed de novo. And when a defendant agrees to a plea bargain, the government takes on certain obligations. If those obligations are not met, the def defendant is entitled to seek a remedy, which might in some cases be rescission of the agreement, allowing the person to take back the consideration they furnished. And that's Puckett v. United States. I know the court's aware of that decision. It's 556 U.S. 129. Accordingly, due process considerations require the government's promises must be fulfilled. When an element of the plea agreement is part of the inducement or consideration for pleading guilty, the government breaches that agreement by advocating for a penalty more severe than specified in the agreement. And that's the Lovelace case. In this situation, 
Um, the restitution under MVRA was a bargained for term of the agreement between Thomason and the prosecution. By advocating for restitution under an additional statute, which was not contemplated in the plea agreement and was not raised until the prosecution asserted it in its restitution memorandum, and thus increasing the severity of Thomason's restitution amount, constitutes a breach of the plea agreement under this court's current precedent. At no point prior to the prosecution's restitution memorandum was Thomason informed of this supposed mandatory restitution under the Violence Against Women Act, a restitution much broader and much more severe than the restitution agreed upon by the parties at the time Mr. of the negotiation. Mr. Kramer, yes. this is Judge Gross again. I, I can understand why your client may have felt surprised by this, but isn't the problem that the plea agreement didn't uh, specifically set any ceiling on the source of restitution? It didn't limit the source uh, just to uh, the one statute? It, 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 it acknowledged that it, it would, that, that uh, um, MVRA would be the uh, statute that restitution would fall under. There was no mention of VAWA. So Thomason has no idea that Thomason has to deal with VAWA in the restitution on that. It should have been brought up if they wanted to use it. And, 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 and honestly, um, there were other issues that, you know, as it relates to that. Um, the, the agreement was that the... Um, let me just find this. I'm sorry. Um, Mr. Kramer, you have one minute, 13 seconds remaining in your time. Okay. The, the, the government used the language also. They were not allowed to talk about um, elements of injure and kill. They were allowed to talk about elements of harassment and intimidation only. And that was, again, a breach of the plea agreement. That was considered by the judge when issuing an upward departure. Um, as it relates to uh, the ineffective assistance of counsel argument, the, the, the counsel for Thomason did not even challenge the fact that there was a warrant out there that, that, that stated there was a kidnapping that took place when there wasn't one. Um, that should have been challenged amongst many other things I'd like to get into but I believe I'm probably out of time and I will save my three minutes for rebuttal. And th I thank the panel again. You're welcome. I'm afraid you don't have three minutes for rebuttal because you're down to 15 seconds, but thank you for your argument. And we'll hear from uh, Mr. Cheever now for the government. Thank you, Your Honor. May it please the court. I am Mike Cheever. I represent the United States in this case. Um, we haven't run into the issue, but if we do, I, I do not mean disrespect to the defendant if I use he, him, her. My preference, personal preference, is to try and use they, them, there, but I'm incapable and I will muddle it and I will cause confusion. And Mr. Chief, let me ask you about that. Uh, it's your position that uh, there was no animus demonstrated by the trial judge's uh, use of uh, gender specific singular pronouns, and yet in your brief, you use a plural gender neutral uh, pronoun. Doesn't that kind of undercut your argument? Not at all, Your Honor. Uh, as a matter of clarification, the issue, the, the defendant's not challenging the district judge's use of male pronouns 
he's challenging only the prosecutor's use of those pronouns. It's a matter of personal preference in society, and it's a matter of context. Uh, in the context of an appeal, the victim's not the focus, the district court decision is, and I've chosen to try and use they, them, there, uh, because it's, uh, I, I believe, respectful to a transgender person that chooses those. I, I try to balance that with clarity to the court, and uh, I've done my best to do that. That's a matter of personal preference. It's not a matter of law. And as I say, it's a matter of context that we lack a record on. The defendant says he raised this uh, multiple times, but it was raised once in a letter by a counsel, which Judge Colleton notes uh, also used, went on to use male pronouns. There was no objection to the government's use of it. And so we don't have, have uh, not until after the sentencing hearing, sentencing and restitution hearing, and then the government didn't submit anything and didn't have any oral statements. So there wasn't anything that for the defendant to object to at that point or a reason for a hearing. The hearing, there are multiple things to come up at a hearing on issues such as this. If, and, and, and I don't limit it to gender neutral pronouns, although those create, those create special problems. There, are, there, This is the same issue that would come up if someone referred to me in air quotes as he. There's different ways to be disrespectful and it doesn't have to be transgender. Uh, the district judge was not allowed to explain why what his view was. Defense counsel was not allowed to explain why she used male pronouns. And the AUSA wasn't given a chance to even explain whether or not she noticed the request in the letter to the probation office uh, or why she chose to use male pronouns. Um, if that had come up, there's a question of how the victim's uh, point of victim her point of view should be considered in the district court. This, there's also the question of how does this happen midstream and is it a, is it a deliberate, uh, is it a genuine request for a change of plea or is there a reason why it got changed mid-case? Uh, I'm not questioning the defendant's sincerity at being transgender, but those questions would need to be answered. There's the confusion of changing, of using um, plural pronouns rather than uh, singular ones. And there's there's a question of whether any of that could ever amount to misconduct given that society, as Judge Colleton notes, has not adopted the general use of a plural gender neutral pronoun for an individual. There's no even general acceptance for the idea that in a, a singular gender neutral pronoun must be used uh, if rather than the physical sex pronoun uh, for for a defendant these, these is there a, is there a word that's recognized as a singular gender there, neutral pronoun that could have been used rather than they and them there, there are multiple ones and that's the problem that the, one of the problems the fifth circuit pointed out in varner T-A-Z-H-E-G is one. Um, there are, there, there's, a, there's a range of them. It, it would be much preferable if society can't agreed upon one. This defendant chose they, them, there. I, you know, the, the shift, defense counsel is correct that the society is shifting to want to respect that. There are, there's a division in courts, the Ohio 
appellate court sided with the dissent in um, Varner saying this court should at least use gender neutral pronouns. That's not generally accepted. We're nowhere near to finding flagrant misconduct by a prosecutor, substantial prejudice, much less that this, this is all a matter of discretion for the district court to deal with based on all these factual and contextual and societal issues to say that it abused its discretion by failing to do what? Caution all the people to caution itself to give an order to, to see, you know, that, well, there, there's no suggestion what the district court was supposed to do sua sponte in, in response to this. That's the abuse of discretion standard. There's no, there wasn't raised, so it's under the plain error standard, so that abuse of discretion is certainly not clear or plain. And then the burdens on the defendant to show prejudice, substantial prejudice in these circumstances, and there just isn't any. Uh, and so there's not an issue in this case. There is an issue for how the court wants to proceed in the future. My, and, and I'll comment on that if the court cares. There, there are other ways far short of a due process claim that counsel, that district courts in particular use to control defendants if, or, or parties if they use insulting language. I'm not suggesting for a minute that he, him, or his is insulting language, but it does happen in district courts. There's rules of professional responsibility requiring lawyers to be respectful. In Minnesota, it's rule 8.4H in particular. There's cautions that district courts can give. There's orders they can give. They've got contempt power. They can refer people to the state bar. They've got their own admission to the federal bar. The same is true in this court. If you, if I was being insulting to one of the parties or the victim or somebody, this court could act. None of that requires um, a new rule on gender neutral pronouns. It's, it's, it's already the district court, this court, you're already readily capable to deal with this issue. And the matter of personal preference is just that. Um, I want to make one point on uh, on something the defendant keeps referring to. They did it in their opening brief talking about the women's clothing. It it's, seems like a minor issue that's relied on very heavily here, so I address it. The government in its brief um, responded to this, this argument that the victim said they were Thomason's clothing by saying the record showed the opposite. That's it. Uh, I believe page 54 of the government's brief, but we cited among other things to the sentencing transcript. There is an evidentiary hearing, page 31. Uh, that where, where the agent who had spoken to the victim testified and said, well, did you ask about the clothing? Yes, they were her size, not him. And, and you can find elsewhere in the record, the, two, the sizes are different. He's much they wouldn't have fit him just because they would have fit her. The makeup bag was hers. The clothing was for her. And the sanitary napkins, of course, were for her. Make, making our use of that record to suggest there was a kidnapping plot, somehow misconduct is, is really quite a stretch. For the, pro, for the plea agreement issue, I just cite you to my brief. The court is very familiar with the contract cases. Uh, I've cited Gordado and Has No Horses and Cabedo. Um, there, this case doesn't come close to the government. There was no promise by the government 
much less one that it exceeded. And unless the court has questions on that, I, 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 I will not elaborate further. And unless you have other questions, I'll rely in other respects on my brief. Thank you, your honors. All right, thank you for your argument. Mr. Kramer, how about if we give you one minute for rebuttal since you used almost all of your time and Mr. Cheever gave some back. You may proceed yeah, with thank, Yes, thank you, Your Honor. The, the, to get back to what I consider extremely important un, under the, the argument that I include with VAWA about violating the agreement, there was an agreement that the elements injure and kill would not be indicated and or used. That was negotiated. The agreed upon elements were of harassment and intimidation. And yet the sentencing judge not only, I believe, relied on it, but was prejudiced by the fact that there were the elements in there relating to injure and kill. Harassment and intimidation is significantly less than injure and kill. So from my standpoint, looking at the entire matter, you know, we're asking the court um, to remand for a sentencing, a new sentencing, um, and not allow the trial court to, uh, allow the trial court to sock my client under VAWA and to have those elements taken out and have a resentencing with a different judge if possible. And again, I want to thank the court for its patience. Uh, it's crazy times. I don't know why my phone, I've done Microsoft meetings. I haven't had a problem. I don't know why my phone was not loud, but I thank the court very much for its patience. Yes, you're welcome. We can hear you fine once we switch to the telephone connection. It wasn't really a problem with volume on the initial. It was more a problem of, a, of an imperfect connection that was cutting in and out. But in any event, we were able to hear you fine once we started over. So we thank you and Mr. Cheever both for your arguments. The case is submitted, and the court will file an opinion in due course. Thank, thank you all, and stay safe.